Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. So Sean Parker is the former president of Facebook. If you saw the movie The Social Network, his character was played by Justin Timberlake. And he said that the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. The inventors, creators, it's me, it's Mark Zuckerberg, it's Kevin Systrom on Instagram, it's all of these people, and they understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. So this morning, we're beginning this series called Our Social Dilemma, Likes and Loves and Living Virtually. About a year ago, I think, I watched a documentary that I think many of you have seen on Netflix called A Social Dilemma. How many of you saw that? So, uh, and I was so sort of struck by it and I just I knew that there's, there's something here that we need to talk about. And I started reading some books, blog posts, articles and things like that. And I've been really wrestling with this thing for about the last year. And I knew that there is a sermon series in here. Like this is an important conversation for the church to have. Uh, it is an issue of discipleship. And I, and I really think the church needs to talk about how we live in a world where technologies are trying to shape us and form us subtly, bit by bit, for their own purposes. That's what this conversation is about. This is meant to prepare us to live in that world by reminding us of who we are in Jesus so that we'll be able to make better choices around our use of technology. Uh, first, I want to offer a, a bit of a definition because we're talking about different kinds of technology. We're talking about social media and apps and platforms and browsers, which are sort of the software. But we're also talking about the devices themselves. And, and so we're talking about phones and talking about computers and, and tablets and smart TVs. And we're talking about Alexa and, and, and some of the hardware as well. In the documentary, A Social Dilemma, they use this term that I thought, actually thought was really helpful. They use the term persuasive technology. And I'm going to be using that as we go along as sort of an umbrella term to refer to these various kinds of technologies that are just subtly... Uh, changing our behavior. They're pers subtly persuading us to do things just a little bit differently than we did before. So that's what that's where this term persuasive technology comes from. And that's what it means uh, as we go along. Now, I just want to share a bit of a roadmap of where we're going for the next few weeks. This, this morning's message is called deceptively powerful. And I just want to set the table a little bit and, and show how, how powerful these technologies are and just sort of share with us the decision that we need to make. That's, so that's this morning, deceptively powerful. Next week when we're together, we'll be online again on Zoom, but that message is called dishonestly profitable. And there we're gonna see how persuasive technology, how it's funded and how it actually makes money off of our attention, okay? So that's the second week. In the third week, the, the message is called Deliberately Awful. For the third week, we pl we're planning on being back together in person at St. Peter's. For this message, Deliberately Awful, the focus is on how 
persuasive technology actually rewards negativity. And then the fourth week is about how persuasive technology is, it actually focuses a lot of its energy and effort on targeting children. And so that message is called Dangerously Parental. It's going to be a whole week about the effort that they exert on trying to reach our children. Uh, and then we had this idea. I had this idea. I talked about it with the elders, talked about it with, with uh, Kevin, our, our worship director. And the idea is, uh, like, because we'll, over these weeks, as we're having this conversation about technology, because we're going to have been reminded more and more about what's true about us in Christ, it seemed like a good idea that we might take a fifth week and in that fifth week, create space for us to, to share one at, a, one at a time. Like for those of us who want to, you could stand up and, and kind of come to the mic and, and take a minute or two and just share an insight or a, or a verse or a promise or something that has, that's really, really has resonated with you. Something to show who we really are in Jesus. Something that you maybe you want to reclaim or something that you want to share and declare. And something, so something that's true about us in Jesus instead of what these persuasive technologies tell us. And so again, it's, it's sort of the idea here is we're creating space for you to do the, the, the sharing that morning uh, in turn. So that's kind of the idea. I, I, I hope that that idea kind of grabs you. I'd love to hear what thoughts and, and ideas you come up with. And so we've got about four weeks between now and then for you to be thinking about what is something that's true about you that is, is helpful and important to you that you would want to share with us. So again, that's where we're going. I think at this point, it's good to reflect on maybe some ways that that persuasive technology is helpful, like ways that it's good. It's not all bad. One of the ways is it gives us a voice, particularly for people who have are, are maybe trauma survivors, people who've been abused or people who have been marginalized. Now that they have access to a smartphone and they have access to this technology, now they can be heard. Now they can be can be seen and they get to interact on their terms. Like they've got it's almost like they've got a place at the table. You know, another way this stuff has helped us is it's given us access to influencers. Like you and I, we have the same device or the same technology as any celebrity or, or influencer with millions of followers. And if I want to thank one of them or congratulate them, or if I want to rebuke them or call them out, I can do that very directly. I can tag them and I can actually know that they saw it. And sometimes I can even get a response. That's That certainly happened. And, and that sort of access to influencers that was unthinkable even just like you know 10 years ago uh, another is is just the convenience of of these this technology and what it's enabled us to do think of how powerful these these devices are just so you know the smartphone that you have in your hand is thousands of times more powerful than the computers that nasa used to put people on the moon in the 60s you know, that's how, that's how powerful your, your, like it's super convenient in the sense that it eliminates how many things you need to hold in your hand. And that's one of the things I really appreciate, like, like maps, for example. Do you remember when we used to drive around and we'd fold and unfold maps? Do you remember that? I don't think I've unfolded a map in like 10 years because I've got it on my phone. And I haven't used a CD in years. 
I haven't used a cassette tape in in many many years. Uh, I haven't ta- I haven't gotten photographs printed and put into a photo album. I haven't done that in years because I've got all of that on my on my phone, and so this this thing is super convenient. I think another thing that this technology has enabled is it's it's allowed us to have a greater and a wider experience of community. Like no longer is geography a barrier and you and I, we can literally connect with one another over this technology, which we're doing right now, even though many of us are in different parts of the city, some of us were in different parts of the province and, and we can connect in the same way with people all over the world simultaneously. Well, that's a huge, that's a huge gift. Another uh, gift that I think that this that this technology uh, gives us is it's made social justice issues very much front and center. Like without social media, there is no Me Too movement. There's no Black Lives Matter without social media. But what this technology has done is it's made these movements and these issues front and center and normalized participation uh, in, in these issues. Another is what it has done for, for arts and for creative people. Like I love, for, as a creative person, I love the idea that by digitizing paintings and photos and by digitizing music and by digitizing literature, those things are now permanent. Like they will, they will never disappear. You never need the artifact anymore. You know what I mean? Like even if the original canvas that a painter paints on breaks down, and even if we don't have many copies of it, now that it's been scanned and it's saved digitally, anyone in the world can see it. Anyone in the world can, has access to it and it will never disappear. It'll never break down over time. And I think that that's a really huge innovation. But as, as good as all of those are, I think one of the things that I think strikes me the most, if not, if not the most, is the unprecedented opportunities that this technology gives us for mission. Think about it. Think of like how, think of the barriers that used to exist between people in terms of like worldviews and in terms of politics and in terms of geography and in terms of language. And now this technology has removed all of those barriers. So now we can share the good news of Jesus with people and, and those barriers are, are, are largely gone. So these are just some of the huge ways that social media and and other technologies have helped us and have improved things over the last, uh, say, 10 years or so. But an important question we're going to ask over the course of this series is, like, is it worth it? And so to get at that, we need to talk about how powerful persuasive technology actually is. Like, how, how powerful is this thing really? It's interesting, you know, that we view this technology as a necessity. You know, we, every, we just assume culturally that you have a phone. And we should ask, like, what is that doing to us as a culture? And I, I would argue that we, it, it's far more powerful than we realize. And in some ways, the influence that it has, the power that it has over us isn't always great. And I want to share some examples now just to illustrate the power that persuasive technology has over us. Like we could talk about its power over politics, for example. You may have heard in the last year or two about the, the Facebook papers that leaked. So in the Facebook papers, uh, we learned about a 2019 experiment called Carol's Journey to QAnon. And maybe you haven't heard of that, but here's the story. A Facebook employee created a fake Facebook account 
and posed as a conservative mom from North Carolina named Carol. Well, within one day, this account got recommendations for content that was flagged as like polarizing, okay? And that would be mainly things like say, say Fox News, for example, okay? Just for example. After one day, those were the recommendations she was getting. After two days, uh, this Carol account was being sent conspiracy theorist pages by Facebook. After five days, she was being recommended content explicitly from QAnon. And after, after a one week, it took this Carol account one week to be inundated with invites to join QAnon groups. Now, you and I aren't supposed to know about that. That was an internal experiment that we learned about in the Facebook papers. But what it does is it proves that Facebook isn't neutral. Okay, Facebook is an example of something that it's trying to give us what it thinks we want. Like it's trying to give us our own version of reality that suits us and that will keep us hooked and coming back for more. So we need to talk about that, you know, like without persuasive technology, there is no President Trump. There is no January 6th insurrection without persuasive technology. There is no Antifa without persuasive technology. There's no cancel culture without persuasive technology. This stuff, this technology has the power to take people who have, say, moderate uh, political views, maybe moderately left-leaning or moderately right-leaning, and it has the power to radicalize them. And we also need to talk about its power over global affairs. Over global affairs. You, you might have heard of an Egyptian dictator named Hosni Mubarak. He was in charge of Egypt for about 30 years, and during that time, journalism was pretty tightly controlled, but not social media because it was, it was still fairly new. And there was a Facebook video that went viral that showed police beating up on an innocent man named Khaled Saeed. And they, that video was being shared. Facebook, the Facebook algorithm was spreading that video among like ground level Egyptians. And, and it started a movement that just exploded over Facebook. And that movement turned into organized demonstrations and protests and, and labor walkouts and stuff. And after 18 days, Mubarak, who had been in charge for 30 years, he resigned. Interestingly, something very similar to that happened in Tunisia. But we should recognize persuasive technology has the power to overthrow dictators and kings. All right, that's the kind of power we're talking about. We need to talk about its power to incite violence. You, you may have heard of the, what's been going on in Myanmar over the last few years. Uh, it's estimated that about 24,000 Rohingya Muslims have been killed. And at this point, about a million refugees have scattered and left the country. And as they've tried to trace back what happened, like where this came from, it seems like in about 2015, a handful of soldiers created fake Facebook accounts. And they used those fake Facebook accounts where they were posing as pop stars and educators. And they were sharing viral videos with titles like, Kill All the Muslims You See. And those were being spread and shared by, by Facebook's algorithm. The violence filter wasn't functioning or wasn't active in Myanmar yet. And so not only was Facebook not catching the propaganda, it actually allowed the, this, these videos to be sponsored and shared and spread. So here in, in Myanmar, this is an example of how persuasive technologies 
could be used to spread the kind of hate and the kind of propaganda that led to violence and genocide and ethnic cleansing. Like that happened. Like that's known. So we need to talk about its power to incite violence. We need to talk about its power over our bodies. It's power over our bodies. We know now that there is, an, there is a connection between persuasive technology and our health, especially in women, young, young women. We know about the literature that names issues like body objectification, where young people uh, use their body as a tool to generate attention and likes and follows and loves. We know this now. And we, we also know social media has a huge role to play in eating disorders like anorexia, bulimia. We know that it's also a reason why people are sleeping less and why people are sleeping worse. And all of this persuasive technology, we need to, we need to talk about how it is actually changing how our bodies work. We also need to talk about its effect on our mental health. I mentioned earlier these Facebook papers. In the Facebook papers, it references studies that show a connection between uh, social media use and high rates of mental health issues like depression and anxiety and ADHD and, and even body dysmorphia. And in many, many cases, actually suicide. Suicide. Now that stuff's not news, Many of you would, be, would already be aware of that. What you might not be aware of is that Facebook knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that this connection existed. They knew that their platforms have the power to reprogram our minds so that we feel and we think badly almost all the time. They're not changing it and making it better. We need to talk about that and its power over our mental health. We need to talk about this persuasive technology's power to end marriages. Dude, check this out. So you see this, this picture of Ashley Madison. This is the front page of the Ashley Madison uh, app. If you haven't heard of it, it's a, it's a website. But the tagline is, life is short, have an affair. So it's a dating site for married people so that they can hook up and have affairs. So in 2015, uh, a group of hackers hacked into the Ashley Madison website and, and got a hold of the names of all 37 million users in 40 countries and promised to release it unless Ashley Madison shut down. Well, they didn't. And the storm that happened after the, this was released, divorce lawyers were so inundated by calls for help that lawyers were, were putting on their website resource kits it's like, click here if your husband was on Ashley Madison, because like, here is how to use that information against him in a, in a divorce. So social media, this persuasive technology has the power to end marriages. We need to talk about that. We also, though, need to talk about its power to make us believe lies. This man that you see in front of you, his name is Tristan Harris. He was one of the guys interviewed for The Social Dilemma, and he's a former uh, exec at Google. He is super troubled by what he sees these, that these technologies are doing to us. And here's what, here's what Tristan Harris says. He says, if something is a tool, it genuinely is just sitting there waiting patiently. If something is not a tool, it's demanding things from you. It's seducing you. It's manipulating you. If it, it wants things from you. And we've moved away from having a tools-based technology environment to an addiction and manipulation-based technology environment. That's what's changed. 
Social media isn't a tool that's just waiting to be used. It has its own goals and it has its own means of pursuing them by using your psychology against you. Okay. Uh, Another voice I'd like you to hear is the voice of Rashida Richardson. She's a law professor at NYU, but she's also part of this group called uh, AI Now. And she's especially concerned about what she sees is the effect of, of persuasive technology on our view of reality. On our view of reality. She says, we are all simply operating on a different set of facts. And when that happens at scale, you are no longer able to reckon with or consume information that contradicts with that worldview that you've created. That means we aren't being objective, constructive individuals. I think that's so, so important. We need to take seriously social media and persuasive technology's ability to make us believe lies and give each of us our own truth, our own reality. But let me share this one. This will be the the last here. I think it's important to talk about the power of persuasive technology to shrink our enjoyment of God, to shrink our desire for God. So there's a theologian, his name's Tony Ranke. He wrote a book recently called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. One of his big arguments is that we are being spiritually desensitized by our use of, of persuasive technology. He says, the more time that I spend reading 10 second tweets and skimming random articles online, the more it affects my attention span, weakening the muscles that I need to read scripture for long distances. He says, the more that we take refuge in distraction, the more habituated we become to mere stimulation and the more desensitized to delight. We lose our capacity to stop and ponder something deeply, to admire something beautiful for its own sake, to lose ourselves in the passion for a game, a story, or a person. I, I think we need to take that seriously. This persuasive technology is shrinking our capacity to pause and to think and reflect and worship and meditate deeply on God. The kind of meditation without which you just can't grow. Think of that. Now, I think it would be easy to be alarmist. And uh, I, I'm not going to encourage everybody to like delete all of their social media accounts and, and get off their phones. What I hope that we see, though, at this point, is that we are talking about something that has the power to topple governments And it has the power to incite violence and ethnic cleansing. And it has the power to end marriages. It is something that has the power to rewrite our bodies and change the ways that our hearts and minds work. It is lying to us and it is dividing us uh, from one another. It is robbing us of our ability to delight in God. And it makes demands that we serve it. And it seems to me anything that has that much power over not just a person, but at scale, anything that has that much power over a culture, we're no longer talking about like a harmless time waster or a distraction or even like a hobby or something like that. What we're talking about now is something that in ancient times would have been called a god. In ancient times, we would have called something with this much power a god. And what that means is that persuasive technology is now no longer the tool. It's not the tool anymore. Now we're the tool. Now we're not the user. Now persuasive technology is the user. We are what it is using, right? We are what's being used in order to serve its ends. 
And like, like, and those are not good ends. Like persuasive technology does not have a good design or does not have good goals for the world, okay? Like it's not a very good God. You with me on that? Persuasive technology does not make a very good God. On the other hand, listen to what scripture reveals about the one true God from Psalm 73, which we heard read earlier. The psalmist says, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you'll take me to glory. He asks, whom have I in heaven but you? And and earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Do you hear that? It is good to be near this God. We have made, it, we will we will be glad if we have made the sovereign Lord our refuge and tell of his deeds. This God can be trusted to guide us and to protect us. He takes us by the right hand and he guides us into this world. And when our days are over, this God is going to take us with him into glory. And of this God, we can say that there is nothing in heaven and on earth, there's nothing in heaven or on earth that is greater than God. And there is nothing and there is no one on earth or in heaven that is more desirable than God. That's who we're talking about. That's who we're talking about with this God. And and our flesh may fail. We, We are weak. Our hearts may fail. But God is our portion. God is our reward. God is that for us. Not uh, not our likes, not our follows, not the shallow connections that we have on persuasive technology, not, not distraction, not, our, not being entertained, not like hilarious cat memes and stuff. God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. At least, like, he should be. Like, I mean, maybe he's not. Like, maybe that's the problem. Like, we, we actually need to make a choice there, don't we? When I think about the, the choice that we face in light of what, we, what I'm learning about persuasive technology, it reminds me that we're sort of in the midst of a red pill, blue pill choice, like in The Matrix. How many of you saw The Matrix? You remember The Matrix? This movie came out in 99. It's this futuristic film, if you don't know, where there's this small number of people who realize the nice ordinary lives that they live are all a lie. Like it's all a vision and a dream. The reality is that uh, that they are connected to this thing called the Matrix. The Matrix is, uh, is like this virtual reality simulation run by the machines that tells you whatever it thinks you want to believe is true. That's, so, th- so there's this fake virtual world that the Matrix has created and we're all plugged into it. We're all living our best lives in this, in this Matrix. But in reality, the computers have all of us in a coma and all of our minds are plugged into this, this simulation, right? And so we're, we're all, our bodies are asleep. 
We're dreaming our lives away. And the matrix, the, the machines are harvesting energy from us in order to fuel their, its own goals and its own ends. And so all these billions of sleeping humans are actually supporting and enabling the machines to do what they want to do. And because everybody's asleep and because everybody is dreaming their own truth, it's actually really hard for people to get free of the matrix. Like it turns out people actually prefer the fake world. A lot of people prefer the the lie. They prefer the deception to the real world. But once in a while, you meet somebody who got out and they offer you the choice and they put before you two pills. There's, There's a red pill and there's a blue pill. And if you take the blue pill, you can go back to being asleep. You can go back to the simulation and you can forget the whole thing and you just go back to the dream. You forget all about the idea of a matrix. If you take the red pill, your body wakes up and you, you become unplugged and you're free from the machines. And it's not an easy life, but it's the truth. And the more I learn about the power of persuasive technology, the more that I realize we face that same choice. It's like, whose world uh, are we going to live in? Like, am, are, am I going to build my life in the matrix anyways? Or am I going to, maybe, can I back off the, of the matrix a little bit? And can I trust my life into the hands of a good God, a, a better God than that one? Like, who, who, which God am I going to trust? Whose word about me am I going to listen to? Which version of me is the true one? The one that the matrix tells me is real? Or, or, or the one that God says is real? Like, I, I think that I know the answer to that question. I think that, I'm just not sure that, that that's always reflected in the ways that I use these technologies. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I want the red pill. I think I want it, but maybe I don't. Like, I want to want the red pill, but maybe I don't actually want it. Maybe I'm scared of the truth. Maybe I like the deception. Maybe the truth is actually kind of scary. And if, you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know, we do not need to be afraid. The truth is good and the truth actually sets us free. That's why Christianity is so good for us and it's so good for the world. Because the power of persuasive technology is in its deception. It's in, it's in the, these multiple truths that it feeds us all. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Like there's one objective, beautiful, ultimate, unifying truth. And in the matrix, you know, everybody has their own ideas. Everyone has their own truth. Everyone has their own, uh, you know, reality. Every, in the matrix, everyone is the hero of their own story. It's like in the, in the matrix, it's like everybody has their own creed that they live by. But Christianity has always said, what, what, what Christianity has always said since the very beginning is that, no, 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 there are not multiple truths. There are not multiple gods. There are not multiple ways. There's one way. What we believe is we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit 
and the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.